Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Bat-Around, coming to you live from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. The Bat-Around is brought to you by Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation insurance specialist. A lot to talk about today. And uh, Zach, first and foremost, well, first and foremost, I'm Paul Valley. I'm your host. This is Zach Goodman, my extraordinarily talented co-host, who is also now the producer of the show. Zach, how are you this morning? Pretty good, Paul. Um, you know, not the not the best week of Orioles baseball we just saw, but they are the first place Baltimore Orioles. I think we have to say that on this uh, morning because well, it's well, pr- it's probably the only time we'll be saying that. We're 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 gonna say it as long as we get to say it, and it's exactly. it's true. They are the first place Baltimore Orioles, not playing their best baseball right now. But despite that fact, despite the two nineteen batting average and the major league leading ninety one strikeouts, they are your first place Baltimore Orioles. However, there is. Are you recording the show? Yeah, it's it's going. Can you pull it up? Because I don't I don't see it. Uh... Sorry, folks. I just want to make sure that we're that we're um, off to the start here. Hit the record button. Anyway, we're just going to keep going because well, one of our programs working a little bit weird this morning. I yeah, don't know. Yeah, we're, we're anyway, sorry sorry for the dead air there for a little bit. We have to make sure that we're recording and we are recording where it where it matters. It's it's not looking like one of the programs is going right today, but, but we'll, we'll see. Here, go up go up to that corner right there and hit sure. new. I don't know what's going on. I don't we, either. We, we I don't are either. recording. Our backup doesn't look like it's recording, although it does say that it is recording, but we're not seeing anything on the screen. So I guess we'll just figure that one out later. Yeah, but. Well, it, only, it only matters if we don't have the right way to up, upload to SoundCloud, but I think that we do. So anyway, getting back to some baseball talk here. Uh, look, the Orioles are making negative attention again, and it's not for their play on the field. Um, it's not in my notes, Zach, and I know I didn't send this to you, but it's something that we have to talk about. I got a lot of text messages, a lot of Twitter messages, a lot of... A lot of stuff on the WhatsApp for the on Birdland tonight, so I want to address it. Uh, Ryan Wagner, uh, he's been the PA guy for the Orioles at Camden Yards for ten years. Only the third full-time PA announcer, uh, PA announcer. The, only the third third full-time PA guy uh, in the history of Camden Yards, in the history of the Orioles, and he was let go on opening day. He showed up to the stadium. He was doing some commercial voiceovers. And the Orioles came up to him and they said, you got to go. They asked him to leave. And everybody's asking me why. Guys, I don't know why. I, 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 there's Dan, Dan Connolly put out an article in The Athletic basically saying that, he, that, that Ryan Wagner had been kind of warned about some, some political tweets that he had put out in the past and the, that the Orioles didn't like and he'd been warned. And so we have to assume that he was let go because of another controversial tweet. I don't know what the tweet said. I saw some fodder online that I don't believe. I don't believe that Ryan Wagner would ever say um, what he what one one little snippet accused him of saying. I feel like that was a fake. Um, it it was definitely not his avatar that was next to this tweet. Um, so I'm not even going to repeat it. Uh, but whatever it was, we're going to miss him. 
in in the the PA booth. Uh, he was the voice of the Orioles in that stadium for the last ten years. <clears throat> if you don't recall, he is a Baltimore native. He is an ambassador uh, for for Guinness here in Baltimore, and uh, he was part of the MLB Fan Cave, the very first MLB Fan Cave where it was he and another guy They spent the entire Major League season in a studio that you could look into. It was a studio apartment. Um, they got to watch every single Major League game for the entire six-month season and the postseason. Um, he won a contest to be part of that event. I don't know what that event was like for him. It, it, it has to get tiring if you can't leave. I'm not sure how that was. Um, but that kind of catapulted him into becoming the PA guy for the Orioles in the stadium. Uh, but he was just let go on opening day. You don't know why. You don't know what he said, what his tweet was, because it certainly wasn't for the way he, he performed. Uh, it, it wasn't based on how he did the job, because he was great. He was definitely great. He yeah. was great. He, he's why J.J. Hardy is known as J. J. Hardy. And I shouldn't even say that, because I'm not good enough to fill his shoes with that. Um, so it wasn't performance-based. He was let go because of something controversial. Um, as soon as we know, we can let you know. Uh, yeah, we don't really want to speculate necessarily because we don't know exactly what it was. Um, but, you know, I, I think it sounded like the Orioles had warned him multiple times of what he had done. That's what Dan Connolly said in his athletic article. So it looks like this has been not something that was a, a new occurrence, I guess. But it does seem kind of weird to all of a sudden send him home on opening day after he'd been there for a while. Maybe a little more to that story, but like you said, we just don't know and don't really want to speculate um, at this time. But it is kind of a weird situation. Like you said, he always did a great job. Um, I always personally enjoyed really listening to him uh, as the PA announcer for the Orioles. Like you said, the J.J. Hardy call is, is you know pretty pretty iconic by now, I would say. Um, and he always did a great job. You know, always had kind of that classic announcer's voice. And you know, only the third PA announcer in Baltimore Orioles uh, or Camden Yards, I should say, history. So. I don't know who the next one will be. I know the, the Bowie, Bay, uh, Bowie Bay Sox broadcaster, she was uh, filling in this weekend, and it sounds like she's going to fill in for a little while. So um, I guess the Orioles are going to hire someone else. Maybe they'll hire her. We'll see what happens. It, it could be her. It could be another step in that direction of having more and more female employees yeah. and broadcasters and the like uh, in Major League Baseball. But, yeah, it's, a, it's still a mystery. It could be a mystery for a long time unless Ryan comes out and specifically says why the Orioles told him they were letting him go. Uh, we're not going to know. But when he, te- when he lets us know, we can let you know. But until then, we just don't know. Moving on. Orioles, they open the season by sweeping the Red Sox in Boston for the first time since 2017, I believe. Yep. Uh, but they've lost three of their next four games to the Yankees and Boston in the home opener on Thursday. The Orioles did break a 12-game losing streak in Yankee Stadium with their 4-3 to extra innings win on Wednesday. The home opener was a sellout, though the announced attendance was only 10,150. Um they said it was going to be about 11,000. That's not quite 11,000. That's barely 10,000. Uh, so I'm not sure what that was about. But, hey, they, they called it a sellout, so we're going to call it a sellout. Yours truly was in attendance. Now, one, let me tell you what happened to us. Laura went online about 10, 15 days ago, and she ordered us tickets from SeatGeek. And they were, they were good seats. They were Section 17, I believe, Row 12. It cost us a pretty penny. It was about $210 yeah. a piece for these seats after fees. We wake up on the morning of opening day, the home opener, and we still don't have those tickets. Laura had gotten an email 
from SeatGeek saying, oh, the, the tickets have been transferred. Uh, here's the link to get them. And they were not there. We never got them. So I had to go and buy more tickets on Thursday morning. Uh, we never got those tickets from SeatGeek. So we're waiting to get our money back from that. But so our seats changed. We were in section 320, row one. First inning of the game. Marwin Gonzalez at the plate. I told Laura when we were um, out with some friends before the game, I said, we're going to get a foul ball today. First inning. Marwin Gonzalez hits a pop-up to me. I stand up, the ball's coming, and I realize it's headed for my beautiful future bride. So I heroically reach out my hand to try to save her. Beer in left hand, reach out the right hand, try to catch the ball. It lands flush in the middle of my palm. And for some reason, I couldn't wrap the fingers around it. It bounced straight up. Unbelievable. Unacceptable. Bounced straight up, hit the railing, bounced over, rolled across the facade, and then falls down to the lower level. Guys, I did not hear the end of this. Not from my fiancé. From the entire section that I was sitting in, the entire game. It was a ninth inning, and they were still like, oh, he caught it. Oh, he caught it. Let me tell you, no other fan in that stadium, except for a woman dressed in a clown costume with orange and black pom-poms, in my same row, a section over, She's the only person that caught a foul ball on the fly. And it's because it hit her in the chest and landed in her pom-pom. Everybody else I watched, oh, I made sure. The home runs, the foul balls, not one person caught it in the air. But I'm the one that gets made fun of. Uh, it, it's just what's going to happen, I guess, when you uh, you know, you know host a baseball show and, and you play a lot of baseball and you don't catch the, the foul ball. It's too bad. Yeah, but. I, even even <laughs> a guy who I played baseball with was a couple of sections over, and he called me, and I, I answered the phone and said, yep, that was me. He goes, dude, put down the beer and use two hands. Catch the ball. So that was my first claim to fame. My uh, Yes, my first claim to fame in this game. My not, second not one. Not the good one. Not, that, not, not the good the one. The good one's coming up. The good one's coming up. So Laura puts up a post. Um... Let me tell you a brief story here. We have a little bit of time because uh, Stan Charles has a bar mitzvah today, so he's not going to be on the program. Um, so we're not going to have our first guest till 10.50, so you get Paul Valley story time. Um, so Laura and I, we met over a mutual love for the Orioles. I won't get into the whole story of how we met because that could take a while, but we met over a mutual love of the Orioles. So after we'd been dating for a year, um, her father and my father paid for a skybox in Camden Yards, and I got her down there on August 11th, 2019, under the impression that I was doing a live recording of the payoff pitch for Utah Street Report and Fanimal Radio from the game. So we get down there, and her family and my family are all in the skybox. Um, I start making this big speech about how I'm really happy to have everybody there to see me do what I do live, and then I said, but it's it's all a show. I'm not actually here to record it. And I turned to Laura, I told her how much I loved her, and I got down on one knee and I proposed. Um, And she said yes. There was a little bit of a delay that made me nervous, but she said yes. She said yes. Uh, It was was a great day. Champagne, beautiful ring. Um, It was was a great day, one of the best days of our lives. So that was the last game that we were in Camden Yards. August 11th, 2019, Rio Ruiz hit a walk-off home run in that game against the Houston Astros. And so that we're going to name our dog Rio. We don't want to name our kid Rio. It's nothing against him. We just don't like the name for one of our children. But we're going to name our dog Rio after Rio Ruiz. Because he hit the Orioles' only walk-off hit of the year in that game. But we had him back since. So Laura puts up a, t- a, a tweet 
of she and I wearing our masks in our seats on opening day, saying this is our first game since we got engaged here on August 11, 2019. Melanie Newman contacts Laura and asks if they can use it during the program. And of course, we say yes. So Melanie, in about the seventh inning, shows our picture and says, Laura and her fiancé, Paul Valley, are here for the first time since they got engaged at the stadium in, in 2019. Couple minutes go by. She finishes doing all of her tweets. Scott Garceau has a little bit of input, and then Jim Palmer drags me through the mud. Drags me through per- the mud. Personally, I enjoyed it. I mean, now, I, I, it was all in good fun. He goes, "I'm really concerned about Laura and Paul engaged since 2019, and they haven't tied the knot yet." Paul's dragging his feet. Melanie, who's been on the show a couple of times, who I ran into in person down in Sarasota at Ed Smith Stadium, she had my back. She told me that we were down at spring training. She said that because of COVID, you have to have a big wedding. Things get pushed back. Talked about how she'd been a bridesmaid a number of times and what goes into a wedding. And then Jim says, if anything, I'm championing Paul because he'll never be accused of making a hasty decision. So that was, that was my claim to fame. I was on the Mass and Telecast, and a Hall of Famer made fun of me. I did tweet to Jim Palmer that I'm a very lucky guy. The long engagement was Laura's idea. It was both of our ideas. Uh, we weren't ready to get married, but we were ready to make that commitment to each other. Um, and I told Jim that we were getting married in September, and I said, do you want to come? Jim did respond to me. He said, it's not out of the question. Good luck. So there's a chance. Look, I think we need to have him on the show to discuss. I would love to have Jim Palmer on the I show. Think Jim, I, I think Jim Palmer has to come on now. We have to make sure that the Orioles allow it to happen, but let's get Jim Palmer on the show, yeah, and, and think- we can talk about it. Um, but a, a Hall of Famer, a Cy Young Award winner, uh, the owner of 268 career wins and a 284 career ERA. Uh, un- underwear model. Under, under, yes, a Fruit of Looms model. Uh, made fun of me. He made, he, he made fun of me on the Orioles broadcast, and I got a thousand uh, text messages about it. Everybody and their brother and mother wanted to tell me about it. Very cool moment. Very cool to see. I, reco- I recorded the, the replay of the game and took a video of that entire segment so that we can possibly play it at my wedding if it's at all possible. We'll see. But that was my claim to fame. It was a great opening day for me. Not so much for the Orioles. They lose that game 7-3. to Matt Harvey pitched a good game. He he, respectable game. Yeah, he gave up the two run homer to Rafael Devers in the in, in the first inning. That happens. Devers is a hell of a hitter who's off yeah. to a slow start this year. 111 miles off the bat. He uh, he was bound to get going at some point. At, it, it at was some going point. to happen. Everybody in the Red Sox lineup, at least in the heart of that order, the two through five hitters, I think combined for nine of their twelve hits and six of their seven runs. Um, they they they, they kind of went off a little bit in that game. Look. After that first inning, Harvey really settled it down. Ryan Mountcastle hits a two-run homer in the bottom of the first inning to tie the ball game up. It's a brand-new game. Harvey gets into the sixth inning. He gets an out, and then he he uh, and then he allows. Or did he get did he allow an out? Or uh, did, did he get an out? I believe he got pulled with two outs, but I could be wrong on that one. Well, he he gets a pop up to Ryan Mountcastle. No, no, no. He I think he walked the first hitter, and then he gets a pop up to Ryan Mountcastle. And Ryan Mountcastle does not catch the ball. Yeah. It, from where I looked, from where I was sitting, it looked like he didn't see it off the bat because he was jogging in kind of looking like, where is this thing? And then he finally saw it, and then you saw him speed up. He goes into a lunging little sideways slide. The ball bounces off his glove. Next thing you know, it's runners on first and second. Nobody out. Harvey gets pulled from the game. They bring in, they bring in Paul Fry. Yeah, that wasn't uh, what we expected out of really 2020 Paul Fry. This is yeah. not 2020 Paul Fry so well, far. He he struggled mightily. He did in spring training. He did. 
and it hasn't gotten better in the regular season. And they said that they didn't think he was working on anything in spring training. Everybody's always working on something. Right, which is a really bad sign if you're not working on something and you're having no success at all. Right. So, so he comes into the game, and he walks the first hitter that he faces. Then he gets a line drive into... No, no, I'm sorry. Walks the first hitter that he faces. Then he gets ahead of the next batter, and he gets a weak ground ball between first base and the pitcher's mound. It allows the run to score. They get the, 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 the out at first base, but it was a very unfortunately placed ground ball for the Orioles because not only does it allow the run to score, but it also it was hit so softly and in such a position that the runners were allowed to get to second and third. So now it's second and third with one out, and Fry gives up a line drive to left field. And Mountcastle plays it on the bounce. It looked like he pulled up. It looked like he should have caught the ball. It looked like he should have caught the he, ball. He should have caught the ball. Too, yeah. he, too hesitant. He didn't break on it in time. He was. He should have been there. Most outfielders are there. Yeah. Uh, you you have Austin get, Hayes out there. You have Ryan uh, McKenna out there. Right. McKenna they, or Hayes is definitely catching that ball. They catch the ball. Then he has a, a throwing error to allow the runner to advance. Right. Orioles are down 4-3 to three at this point. Um, and they bring in Dylan Tate. Dylan Tate gets out of the inning. He comes into the next inning. He gets an out. And then he gives up a double. And then they bring in Sean Armstrong. For, for no reason really pulling Tate there. There, the, the, there was no reason to pull Tate when they did. No reason to pull Tate no. when they did. Just like I felt like Harvey should have possibly been left in the game. I'm with you there, too. Because, because Harvey did, did his job. He, he got a routine fly ball that just wasn't caught, and then he gets exactly. pulled for it. And I don't know if it's Brandon Hyde in the clubhouse talking to Freddie Gonzalez and saying, hey, get these pitchers out of the game, or if it's... Freddie Gonzalez making the decisions on his own. But if it was Freddie Gonzalez making the decisions on his own, and I hate to say it, it's probably why he's not still managing. Right. I mean, I think Brandon Hyde does. I feel like he's still there in some capacity. Even though he's, he's thrown out of the game, he's still kind of relaying what they want to do. And I'm sure they kind of had a plan of who, you know, who the guys they want to have pitch that day, and then obviously the pitch count they want to bring him up to. They all kind of plan this out, you know, pre-game. But the decisions they did and, and taking the guys out when they did, like you mentioned, Harvey, Tate... It just wasn't smart. It did not seem like they gave the, the Orioles the chance to, to have the best chance to win. It, it just it, it felt really counterproductive to me. It, it, it really didn't make sense. Well, and so Sean, Sean Armstrong comes into the game, and the very first batter that he faces, first pitch, J.D. Martinez smacks a double. Yeah. And the next thing you know, the Orioles are, find themselves down 6-3. to three. They end up giving up a home run to Kike Hernandez in the top of the ninth uh, to go down 7-3. It was either the 8th or the ninth thing. Either way, it was a late run. The Orioles go down 7-3, and they don't score again. They, they lose the game 7-3. to three. And if you recall, in Jorge Lopez's first start, and he gets the ball tomorrow to finish off the series, in his first start against the Yankees, he pitched well. He gets into the fifth inning. He gets two outs, but around those two outs, there were three walks. After the third walk, which was to to Aaron Judge, they pull him from the game. Sean Armstrong gets brought in. His first game of the year coming off the paternity list. Walks Giancarlo Stanton. Not Giancarlo Stanton. Walks Aaron Hicks. And then gives up a 471-foot grand slam to Giancarlo Stanton. And the reason that we're rehashing this is because it's a problem. Right. It's all kind of a pattern between Orioles. It's not just one guy doing one thing. It's a pattern across the entire bullpen, across the entire starting rotation. They're walking too many guys. They're not throwing strikes when it matters in key spots. They're walking too many guys, but also in the last four games, the Orioles bullpen has allowed eight inherited runners to score. Yeah. Eight. You're not going to win ball games if you're letting, if you're letting eight inherited runners score from your bullpen. 
Well, I mean, that's a starter can't allow an inherited runner to, to score, but your bullpen's coming into the game. It's not like they're coming into the game in the second inning. They're coming in the fifth, they're coming in the sixth, in the seventh, and they're allowing these late runs to score, and you, you just can't have it. And look, I'm, I'm not in the camp that says, hey, let's get rid of Sean Armstrong. No, for sure you, you no. Know, I, I've, I've never been a believer in Paul Fry. I've never been a believer in I Paul Fry. I haven't And, and here's, here's why. In 2019, he got off to a really fast start. He pitched well towards the end of 2018, gets off to a fast start in 2019, but slowly but surely the, 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 the wheels start falling off for Paul Fry, and he ends the season with an ERA north of five. Then last year, in a shortened season, he has about a two-and-a-half ERA, which you can take, but again, it's a shortened season. He did the same thing in, the first, in his first 20 games in 2019. When do the wheels start falling off? Right? right. If he plays a 162-game season in 2020, do the wheels fall off again? The wheels certainly fell off in spring training, and they haven't gotten reattached here in the early going in 2021. <clears throat> Sean Armstrong, he's in the 97th percentile in spin rate. They're talking about his stuff being good enough for him to be a closer at the major league level. Can you turn me up just a little bit, my man? Thank you. Um, they're talking about his, his, his stuff being good enough for him to be a closer. I've I've seen enough from him to know that he's going to get better, you know. And, and he's been good. I mean, he was a solid twenty twenty bullpen guy. He was yeah. he was a big part of that bullpen. That was a top ten bullpen. Only fourteen appearances because of an injury. Only four, right? So a limited limited sample Limit, size. Limited sample size wasn't great in twenty nineteen, but the stuff is there. You don't get that stuff from Paul Fry. Exactly. You, you know what I mean? And and. Uh, Paul, Paul Fry throws a lot of hittable pitches. He he's always out over the plate. He doesn't seem to have the deception that a lot of the 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 pitchers in the Orioles bullpen, you know. And the other problem with Paul Fry, I think, being a lefty, you have some disadvantages against right-handed hitters. The big power guys like Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, uh, you know, a guy like J.D. Martinez, you have that disadvantage because they can see the ball so well out of lefties. And and that's where I, without the deception on his pitches, he doesn't have a ton of break. He doesn't have a ton of movement. If you're lobbing in fastballs at 94, 95, which is what he was doing, you're not going to have a lot of success. And then if you start trying to you know nibble around the zone, then you're going to get into the problem where you're walking guys. And that's what we've kind of seen. The Orioles are either putting balls out over the plate, not making great pitches, or just completely missing and, and walking a ton of guys. And neither are a recipe for success. Neither. You're, you're not going to win games doing either of those. Well, absolutely. And then you look at Paul, uh, not Paul Fry. Well, his ERA is about 540. Yeah. Uh, because he doesn't get charged with a run in this past game because it was an inherited runner that scored. So that 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 run goes to Matt Harvey and undeservedly so. He did he right. he threw a pitch to get an out and it wasn't an out. Sean Armstrong's ERA is 27 in three appearances. Not it, good. Not, not good at all. Not good. Not good. You know, Jorge Lopez. Look, when Jorge Lopez comes into that game against the Yankees. Uh, or when he's in that game against the Yankees, he's got two outs in the fifth inning. He's walked the bases loaded. He walked the leadoff guy, got an out. Walked the next guy, got an out. Got uh, Then he walks the next guy. They pull him from the game. The next two batters were combined 0 for 4 with a, with a strikeout against him in the game. In, in Hicks and Stanton. It, you're damned if you do. You're damned if you don't. Right? Because if you leave Lopez in and... He walks the next guy or he gives up a hit. You left him in too long. If you do what the Orioles did, you pull him. You bring in Sean Armstrong. He walks a guy and then gives up a grand slam. You pulled him too early. It's 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 a lose-lose situation unless you get the out. You get the out. Right. Right. And and they didn't. So we can look at it, and, and hindsight being twenty twenty, we can say, well, they should have left him in. 
they didn't bring in Sean Armstrong expecting him to walk a guy and give up a grand slam. But the fact of the, the fact remains, your job is to get people out. You're a reliever. Your job is to come in in those situations, especially if they look at you as a potential future closer. Your your job is to come in and get guys out in those situations. Sean Armstrong didn't do his job, and to a certain degree, Jorge Lopez didn't do his job because you walked three guys in the fifth right. inning. You know, you've got to start. The way I think about it sometimes is when you've got guys on first and second, and and you're gonna you know you're gonna put that third batter on by walking them again. You've just got to start throwing guys hit pitches to hit. You you can't keep throwing. I mean, you don't want to load the bases. That's that's completely counterproductive. You've got to trust your defense, and you've got to throw the best pitch you have and put it in the zone and see what they you know you you don't want to walk guys. Walking guys is, a, is it's a recipe for disaster. It always mm-hmm. is. And and, he, and what you saw what happened. He gave up a you know Sean Armstrong comes in and gives up a grand slam. And that's just what happens when you walk too many guys. You've, you've got to throw strikes when it counts. You've got to throw it in the key moments. And the Orioles relievers aren't doing that right now, except Tanner Scott. Tanner Scott is in a whole and, other and world. Cesar Valdez. Cesar Valdez, of course, too, yes. Tanner Scott, Cesar, and Dylan Tate. And Dylan Tate's well. been pitching well, And, and yeah. I'll tell you right now, Tyler Wells, I li- I, I've liked what I've seen from him. He gave up that home run to Kike Hernandez. That happens, right? But he's got what does he have? Like six strikeouts and two in the third innings. He's been impressive for sure, he, and throwing strikes, throw, you know, yeah. pounding the zone, and that's important. And and, that, and that's a guy who, of the two Rule Five picks, I think he's the one who's going to stick. But they both pitched well in their small sample sizes so far. <laughs> Scroller threw eight straight fastballs to Aaron Judge and struck him out with the bases loaded. That's yeah, insane. I guess the fastball really is deceptive, but um, that was that was quite. Something to see, I guess. And, but we also had to realize there's, no, and we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here. But there's, there's no book on either one of these yeah. pitchers, yeah. so that that's still one of those things. Now we're 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 giving a lot of a lot of guff to the Orioles pitching staff, and and to a certain extent, rightfully so. Look, the yeah. team ERA right now is four, so they're they're pitching well enough to win games for the most part. But let's not be mistaken by the fact that in the last three of the last four games, they've given up exactly seven runs. Three of the last four games, they've lost the game seven nothing, seven two, seven three. They won that game 4-3 in extra innings against the Yankees. But look, you give up seven runs in a game, you're not going to win. It's not really giving your team a chance to win if the Orioles are hitting well, but and they're not. So, you know, you're not really giving your team a chance to win like that. And, and the starters, I, I feel they've been fine. I mean, I think Zimmerman was great the other day. Matt Harvey has been, you know, respectable. Harvey's been, been, he's, been solid. He's been good. Um, Dean Kramer had a really bad outing. That really bad. That wasn't fun to watch. Uh, but, you know, Jorge Lopez, like you mentioned, he was fine. He, he he was really fine until he started walking those guys at the end of the outing. He was good. And it's like Rick Dempsey said, nothing good happens after a walk. Right. you got to throw strikes. And that's that's where the issue is with Dean Kramer. When the Orioles traded for him, he led the minor leagues in strikeouts. He's been a strikeout guy his entire career. But at the minor league level, guys will chase your pitches. At the major league level, that doesn't happen. Right. That doesn't happen. They're not getting fooled by a fastball at the major league level. That yeah. just generally doesn't happen. You, you've got to go out there and you've got to throw strikes. You've got to throw competitive pitches. The, the stuff that, that got you all those strikeouts in minor leagues, it ain't going to work at the major league level. You have to learn how to pitch to major league hitters. And Dean Kramer Dean Kramer's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. Nobody's worried that his career is going to be derailed after one start against the Yankees that, was, that wasn't great. But he needs to learn to throw strikes more consistently. This is what plagued him last year in his four starts. He would pitch five, six innings, but his pitch count would be up in the hundreds. Uh, he'd throw a lot of balls, get behind a lot of hitters before eventually getting them out. He's got the stuff to get major league hitters out. He loaded the bases in the first inning the other day and then got three straight outs. I think he struck out the side after that. So he he can pitch at this level. you got to throw strikes. Um, but look, again, it's not all on the pitching staff. They have four games of allowing three runs or less. That's good. 
right? That's more than half your games allowing three runs or less. The problem here is that the offense hasn't gotten started. And we're going to talk about this in Orioles banter after we get our first break. Again, because Stan the Fan Charles is not on the program today. He has a bar mitzvah. Um, but the Orioles struck out 13 times on the, in the home opener. Struck out 13 times. And it was a major league record fifth straight game with 13-plus strikeouts. They lead the major leagues with 91 strikeouts. Uh, only 16 walks, which is third worst in the major leagues. Look, the Orioles only had two base runners after Pedro Severino homered with one down in the fourth, and they saw just 72 pitches the rest of the game after Severino's home run. All three batters in the ninth inning struck out on a combined 10 pitches, including Ryan Mountcastle on a check swing where, from where I was sitting, it didn't look like he went around. And Zach, this is something you have an issue with. This, this is your sounding off segment for today. Uh, check swings. Ryan Mountcastle certainly didn't look like he went, but these umpires, sometimes it seems like they have an agenda. And I want you to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like all of a sudden, and I know that check swing appeals are nothing new, it, but it seems like this season I've noticed more than ever Guys, every catcher, every you know, whether it's the Red Sox, the Yankees, whatever, they're asking for a ridiculous amount of check swing appeals, and I think that's you know kind of the Orioles' fault in one way. I, I think the Orioles are, are check swinging way too much. I, I don't know what this is about, but it seems like guys like Mal Castleman, seeing like a, a lot of the better hitters who aren't going right now, they're second guessing themselves. They're check swinging. That's not going to work. Yeah, check swinging is not something you want to do because it, it, generally it's going to be called a strike, and the Orioles are doing a ton of it. But it seems like to me every time the Orioles have any sort of check swing, whether they went around or not, it seems like it's being called a strike. Uh, you saw it with Malcastle the other day. You mentioned that. You were on the first baseline. You would know. He definitely did not go. He wasn't even halfway around. There was no swing there from Ryan Malcastle, and that seems to be kind of the pattern. They're not swinging, and, and, and they're getting the calls against them. I don't know why this is. I have no clue. But the Orioles are getting a lot of calls against them, and they're getting a lot of strikes where they really shouldn't be. And, and, and that's the same thing at home plate umpires, too. They're, they're calling a lot of strikes on the Orioles where I feel like it should be a ball. It, it seems like there's a lot of inconsistency there. But I feel like, too, with all the tech that we have in baseball now, there, there's track, man. There's all these cameras everywhere. We should be actually re reviewing some of these check swings. You know, it, it can change a whole lot bad. It, it, guys are striking out because they're check swinging. You know, Austin Hayes does it a ton. Ryan Malcastle does it a considerable, you know, considerable bit. It's going to start chipping away at these guys' production because they're striking out on these swings that aren't actually swings. Now, I know that, you know, going around is kind of subjective. If you're swinging, it's a little bit subjective. Every umpire is going to look at it a bit differently. But it seems like to me... There should be some tech that we can actually review this on and, and make sure that we're actually making the right call because the judgment of one guy I don't think should should define a whole at bat. I, I think it's just kind of it's not really making a lot of sense and the Orioles are, are having everyone seemingly go not their way right now. And I don't know why that is. Well, and, and some of them are reasonable. You look at sure. there, you look at Rio Ruiz the other day. You look at how Brandon High got ejected from the game. Rio Ruiz offers at a pitch that hits him um, and doesn't get awarded first base. It's called a strike. Brandon Hyde comes out of, out of the dugout livid and gets tossed from the game in the home opener. Um, and then they showed the replay. He swung. Rio Ruiz, he swung. And it wasn't a swing trying to get out of the way. He broke the wrist. The bat went above. He got hit after the bat broke the plane. So that... I don't love that rule, but that was fine. That, don't that, don't, don't that, love the rule, but the, it's the rule. He offered at the pitch. It wasn't a full swing, 
but it was the same thing as a check swing that gets called a strike. And it, he, he, his bat did break the plane. Hyde got ejected, rightfully so, because you want to argue because your guy just got hit by a pitch and the umpire didn't let him go to first base. Exactly. But it was Rio's fault. Rio didn't. Right. The pitch was, was a foot inside. Why are you offering it the pitch? Ryan Mountcastle did not swing. This, right. uh, this stuff should be reviewable. You look at Michael Conforto got hit by a pitch for the Mets Perfect with the example. bases loaded to walk off. It was a walk-off hit by pitch. You look at the replay, that pitch was a strike. Exactly. It caught white of the plate. Conforto leaned his yeah, elbow he, he, in he, and got... He leaned into it. And he got grazed, and you can't review that. Why are we not reviewing these calls? That it needs just, to be reviewable. It doesn't make sense to me. Why are we not reviewing this? You know, managers have challenges for a reason. And that, that 100% was the difference in the game. It changed the game because the Mets got a win on a pitch that would have been called a strike if he just stood there. Right. Uh, so this stuff needs to be reviewable. It's the same thing with robot umpires. Do we do we want to go in that direction? No. But if you have CB Buckner and Angel Hernandez out here making terrible call after yeah, terrible right. call after terrible call, something's got to be done. Exactly. Something's got to be done. Look, we got to get a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about this Orioles uh, offense at length because it's been bad and it needs to get better if they want to win some games. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. It takes time to get rich, flavorful coffee beans from the lush mountain regions of Colombia and Brazil to Royal Farms. But less than a minute to get yourself a delicious hot cup of the finest and freshest coffee in the world. Because Royal Farms' new Swiss-made coffee machines grind those rich, flavorful coffee beans and brew them one magnificent cup at a time. It's why Royal Farms makes the freshest and best coffee in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. At Glory Days Grill, they have great food and good sports. Glory Days Grill is a sports-themed family restaurant with 39 restaurants up and down the East Coast. Watch all of the games on a ton of TVs, and each table has its own wireless speaker so you can tune in to whatever game it is you're watching. Find out more about what's happening at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill right now by going to glorydaysgrill.com. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate y'all. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. He is Kevin Zeitler. Uh, thank you. Very happy to be a part of this. Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. John Angelos. Thanks a lot. Good to be with you. Heston Kerstad. Thanks for having me. Ryan Mountcastle. Thanks for having me on, guys. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Quarterback for the University of Maryland, Talia Tungavailoa. Thank you guys for having me. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be on. Dickie V. Dick Vitale. Kyle is too diaper dandy. He is Mr. Kyle Ripken Jr. Good chatting with you. Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. 
The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, a lengthy Q&A with Orioles manager Brandon Hyde as he candidly discussed the impact the pandemic has had on the team's rebuilding effort, Chris Davis, Adley Rutschman, and much more. Inside, find our special college lacrosse feature, introducing you to the men's and women's players at all of the area schools. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, welcome back to the Battle Round. Normally we would have Stan the Fan Charles on right now, but again, Stan is not available for a bar mitzvah this week. But if you uh, are missing your Stan fix, Stan the Fan Charles has two great shows for you every week. And like everything else in the world, they're happening over Zoom. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan and Ross caught up with new Orioles Hall of Famer Mike Devereaux. Find the show under the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or at pressboxonline.com. Not quite sure as of yet who Stan's guest is on Monday. Um, That's TBD. Uh, But Stan's weekly shows are brought to you by C3 American Exteriors. Find them at c3america.com. Call C3 American Exteriors to get roof and siding repairs for the cost of your home insurance deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. Call C3 at 410-401-9797. That's 410-401-9797. Or go to C3America.com for a free analysis. Every time I read that number, I I, I go back and forth between 410 and 410. Uh, Every week it's different. Uh, Just random... Thoughts, uh, lowered expectations with Jack Handy from <laughs> from uh, Mad TV or whatever it was back in the 90s. I'm showing my age right now. I am Paul Valley. This is the Batteround coming to you from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. And before the break, Zach, we were getting into the Orioles offense. <clears throat> and it has been it has been bad. Okay, it, it, yeah. it, it's been bad. They scored more than four runs once all season, and that was last Sunday. Um, an 11-3 victory over the Red Sox. Bruce Newman went six innings. Garrett Richards gave up six runs and two innings on seven hits. That's the matchup today. It's uh, Zimmerman versus Garrett Richards. The Orioles have six everyday players batting below 240. Six. Freddie Galvis, Trey Mancini, Ryan Mountcastle, and Rio Ruiz have all struck out at least 10 times. They lead the majors with 91 strikeouts. They've walked just 16 times, third fewest in the league. The team is slashing. Oh, God, this is so gross. They're slashing 219, 265, 324. That's a 219 team batting average, a 265 team on base percentage, and a 324 team slugging percentage. 324 team slugging percentage. That's problematic. For it's, sure, you're not gonna they, win, you're not gonna win many games like that, dude. They've been so bad. It's almost insufferable to watch. It, it really is Im- impossible to to fathom the, the, how much they're striking out right and, now. And five straight games with yeah. 13 plus strikeouts—a a major league record. Major league record, right? And five hits or fewer in three of the last four games after collecting 34 hits in the first three games of the year. Only Cedric Mullins and Pedro Severino have an OPS above 605. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think the hitters are going to get going eventually. I, I think a guy like Ryan Malcastle, a guy like Trey Mancini, they're too good to not get going at some point. But right now, while they're slumping, and the, really the whole team is, you've got guys like Franco, Galvis, you know, some of your bigger, better bats are not doing anything. And it's, it, it's impossible to watch right now. It is so bad. They well, are, well, look, uh, the combination of Trey Mancini, Anthony Santander... Ryan Mountcastle, uh, Mike Alfranco, and Freddie Galvis, all guys who you expect to hit more than 20 home runs. Exactly. That combination of five players has two home runs. Right. They have two home runs. All right, Trey, Trey Mancini struck out 10 times this year. He struck out eight times in the last four games. I think he has one hit, two hits in those four games. Look, he's clearly pressing. He's clearly putting a lot of, a lot of this... Team on his shoulders, he feels like I'm Trey Mancini. I'm, uh, and he's not an arrogant guy. No, not he, at he, all. He's not that guy, right? But I'm sure that he feels like this is a big story. Right. I need to come out and prove that this isn't going to impact me. That I can do this. And he's struggling, chasing a lot of pitches. I was going to say, as far as the chasing goes, I think there's a really big reluctance as far as pitching goes to throw him fastballs. I don't think anyone wants to give Trey Mancini a fastball because they know what he's going to do with it. You throw Trey Mancini a curveball and a slider, he's been looking really off balance against those pitches. And that goes for Ryan Malcastle, that goes for Franco, that goes for really any of the guys not hitting. There's a reluctance to throw the Orioles fastballs. And that's I think that's a big part of it. Well, and the, 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 the good news is... All of these guys are struggling at the same time. So there's a good chance that they're all going to get hot at the same time. And that time. could be really dangerous. I mean, th- this is a dangerous lineup when well, they're and, all hot. And this lineup is the reason that I said the Orioles are going to win 72 games this year. Now, right. look, 72 games is not a lot of games. But it's a lot It's a lot of games when you consider that this team in their last two full seasons have lost a combined 223 games. And won 47 a few years ago. So, yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. that would certainly be 72 a- wins would be... Is a big deal for a rebuilding ball club that might be a year or two away from really getting back into competitive contention. Um, the other thing is, Austin Hayes is hurt. It took him, he was their best player all spring. Right. It took him three games to get hurt again. A, a guy you count on, a guy you need out there every day because of his bat, because of his arm, because of his fielding stat. He, he's a great player who's never on the field. And, and, and you're looking at this, and now because of that, Ryan McKenna, and God love Ryan McKenna, great defense, arguably the, the yeah. best defensive outfielder in the system, which says a lot when you have Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins on your team. Love the glove. The bat's not ready. The right. bat's not major league ready. He's never played above double A. And, and in double A, it's not like he tore the cover off the ball. Right. He, was, he, he was fine. He, was fin- he wasn't even fine. He was, yeah. he was mediocre at best uh, at double A. He tore the cover off the ball at Frederick. Right. Hit 377 with 20 home runs at Frederick. He moves up to double A and he struggled since he got moved up to double A. But Austin Hayes, the, a guy that you count on, how much longer can you count on him? It's a tough decision. I mean, we've talked about this a lot, but the Orioles have a big log jam right now. They do. They they have you know only three outfield spots. They have a DH spot for a lot of outfielders. You've got DJ Stewart, who's looking like he's going to come off the injured list. You've got guys like Houston L. Diaz waiting in the wings. Heston Kerstad isn't that far away. And then you have everything at the major league level, like Mullins, um, you know, like Hayes, like Mountcastle. It's a log jam right now. I don't know. I, they need Hayes. They need Hayes to stay healthy. They need him to be in that lineup, especially right now when there's no one hitting. You need another guy who's not just a defensive outfielder. You need to have the bat, too. 
I don't think the Orioles can give up on Austin Hayes. I don't think they ever can because well, they're not going. He, to. He's too talented. But at some point, you have to start thinking. Okay, here's the replacement. Here's what we're going to have to do because if he's never on the field, he's not going to be hitting for you. So it's you've got to start kind of considering what your options are. Well, and it's early enough in the season. If Austin Hayes misses ten games and he comes back, he ends up playing 145 games this great, year, great. and he hits 280 with 22 home runs. Okay, you can count on this guy. He just played 145 games of productive baseball. Exactly. But he's got to prove that he can do it. He's got to right. come back. And then stay healthy the rest of the year. I mean, is there any really conf- Is there any confidence you have that Austin Hayes is going to play 145 no. games? No, because I, he I, I don't at all. He hasn't done it since 2017, right? Or, or right. 26. He hasn't, yeah, pl- he hasn't played a full season. He, 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 you know, whether it's luck, whether it's maybe being a little bit fragile. I don't know what the case is, but he hasn't played a full season. Well, let, let's look at his injuries. You look in 2018. He changed his workout regimen because he got he got it in his mind that he had to have more power. At the major league level. This is a guy who hit 30, <laughs> four, 34, right. 32 home runs, 34 home runs in the minors in 2017. They got a call up to the major league level. Thought he needed more power. Put, tried to put on more muscle. Ends up hurting his shoulder. Misses the start of the year. He could have broken camp with the Orioles as their center fielder. Instead, he gets hurt. Spends the entire year in the minors. 2019 has a great spring. The Orioles send him down. They said he needs a little bit more seasoning. He At, at, at Twin Lakes Park, in a, in a spring game, slides into second base. Breaks his thumb, sprains his thumb, hurts his thumb, misses significant time, doesn't get the call up till late in the year, then plays with his hair on fire like we saw all spring in, in September. Then last year, gets hit, and, and through no fault of his own, gets hit by a pitch, breaks a rib, misses 20-some-odd games, comes back, and looks like the player that we saw at the end of 2019. When the guy is on the field, he's a difference maker. Got to stay on the field. I keep saying it, but overall, he might be the most talented player on the Orioles roster. He is, but if he's not on the field, that doesn't help you. Well, and you look at how he hurt himself. It's in that drubbing of the Red Sox last Sunday where he hits a double. It's a surefire double. Right, he crushes it. Surefire double, and he's sprinting, which great. Love it. Plays hard. Goes all out. Play hard, right? But you're already up by a ton of runs. It's a seven-run inning. It's probably the fourth or fifth run of the inning at this point. You don't need to sprint in the second base. You're not getting the third. You know, the, pull up a little bit. And he pulled up because he hurt the hamstring, took himself out of the game, and now he's on the injured list. He was hustling in a, at a time. And look, and Ross Grimsley and I kind of got into it a little bit on Twitter the other night because he was he was complaining that the Orioles don't run things out. And I said, I beg to differ because Ryan Mountcastle is laying out infield hits. Ninth inning. Cedric Mullins is is sprinting down the line on a ground ball. Severino has been running everything Severino's out. Severino is running everything out. Mancini runs everything out. But Mike Alfranco hit a ground ball back to the pitcher, and he didn't run it out. And I said, look, I can excuse that. It's a ground ball back to the pitcher. Now, when the ball bounces off the pitcher 15 feet away from him, you better be running. Sprint. And he didn't. And he gets thrown out on a play that he shouldn't have been thrown out on. So I, I, I understand that. But there's times when you don't need the hustle. On a surefire double that there's no chance of it not being a double. Just jog, In, in a big inning, just jog. Yeah, just, it, just, it, just get there. There's no reason to play all out on a double that you know you're going to get to second base. You're, yeah. not, you're not David Ortiz where you can barely, you know, barely get to second base in time on a surefire. You're Austin Hayes. You can jog and run faster than a lot of the players in this league. Right. And that's all you need to do. Right. And that's really and, all you need. And we talked about this. Bryce Harper... He started his career very similarly, running face first in the wall. It's getting so so angry after a strikeout that he smashes his bat up against the wall, bounces right. back, and hits him in the face. You have that grit. You have that determination. You have that fire, and we love it. We, we want our players to play like that. But there's a time and a place. 
If it's a ball in the gap that the, that the left fielder feels running away from himself on a hop, and you think you can make it second, hustle. Right. If you hurt your hamstring on that, all right, man, I, I can respect that. And it's not that I don't respect the play. You Slow it up a little bit. You don't need right. to be Johnny Hustle on that play. And the Orioles' offense has not been good since Austin Hayes left the lineup. You mentioned DJ Stewart. Pat Vilek has been reassigned to the alternate training site. You have to imagine that's because uh, DJ Stewart is coming off the injury list probably today. And there's probably no guy that makes more sense to send down than Pat Vilek, based on the fact that he's off to a slow start. He didn't have a great spring. And DJ Stewart's a better player. Let's be, yeah, let's yeah, be D- honest D- DJ Stewart's going to get on base at a 360 clip if his average is below 250. Right. Uh, so, and he's got he's got the power. Look, he might not have a position either. He's I like DJ Stewart. Let me preface this by saying that he's the Orioles' worst outfielder. And that, oh, that yeah. and that includes Ryan Mountcastle. Now, look, he might be a better outfielder than Ryan Mountcastle, but we're going off what we've seen. We've watched him slide for a ball and have it bounce off his head. We've watched him sp- at full sprint get up, catch up to a ball down the right field line and have it bounce off his glove. He hasn't proven that he can play a solid outfield at the major league level. But the bat plays. He's a former first-round pick. He's now 27 years old. It's time for him to have his coming-out party. Uh, Michael I said he thinks that DJ Stewart's going to be his breakout player this year. I agree. And especially while Austin Hayes is on the injured list, you've got room. You've, you've got room to play him in left field. You've got you know DH wherever you, you want to put him. You can DH so, him. Right. You can DH him. Right. Um, you can get maybe Trey Mancini some time off, although he's going to be in the starting lineup for the next few days because he, they had the day off yesterday. But this is an opportunity for DJ Stewart to come up and place himself in this order. I think he's the perfect number two hitter because he's got sneaky speed. He can hit the ball to all fields. He's got great on-base capabilities. This is a perfect opportunity for him to seize that number two spot in the order. I would not be surprised to see that lineup come out, come out today and have DJ Stewart batting second. For sure. we got to get Sean McAdam, uh, beat writer and columnist for the Boston Journal, on the line. So Zach's going to do that. Um, we're going to talk to him about this Orioles series with the Red Sox and how these two teams are kind of going in different directions. Now, the Orioles swept the Red Sox um, three straight in Boston to open the season. And a lot of people are saying, are the Orioles good or are the Red Sox that bad? And I thought, I, think it's, I don't think it's either one. I think that the Orioles played a good series. I think the Red Sox came out a little slow. But I think the Red Sox are a better team. I think that their starting pitching, especially when Chris Sale comes back, is going to be, is going to be fairly good. I think that their bullpen is better than last year. I think that lineup can compete with any lineup in baseball, especially with J.D. Martinez tearing the cover off the ball to start the year. Look, the Red Sox are a good team. They've won four straight. The Orioles, after sweeping that series, have lost three of four. Now we have, from the Boston Journal, beat writer and columnist for the Red Sox, Sean McAdam on the line. Sean, how are you this morning? I'm well, guys. How are you? We're doing well. Thanks for joining the program. You joined us back in November, so we're happy to have you back on the program today. Nice to be back. Look, we were just talking about the Red Sox. They suffered that season-opening sweep at the hands of the Orioles before winning their next four games, including a sweep of the AL champion Rays. Sean, what happened in that first series? The The Red Sox looked lifeless against the Orioles. Yeah, I mean, really nothing went right for those first three games. Uh, they did not hit in any of them. They scored a total of five runs in that series. Uh, they had a couple of defensive meltdowns on opening day and then again uh, in the second game. And in the third game, uh, you know, they were down 10 nothing by the second or third inning. Garrett right. Richards had a brutal first start 
uh, his first of his Red Sox career. And so it was a little bit of everything, and it just seemed like it snowballed a little bit from the Red Sox. They they lost the opener, and then things went downhill quickly. And, you know, last Sunday night, people were debating, uh, you know, how, where the bottom was going to be for this team after dropping three in a row to, to Baltimore to start things. But <clears throat> to their credit, they got it turned around pretty quickly, and all the things they didn't do against the Orioles last weekend, they did against Tampa Bay, uh, a pretty good team, obviously, coming in even reduced after the loss of uh, Snell and Morton, but the defending American League champions nonetheless. Um, and so for the last four games, it's been a little bit of everything. Just as there, nothing went right last weekend, um, everything has gone right since. They've hit, they've had good situational hitting, uh, the defense has cleaned up. I think they've made just one error in the last five games. And the starting pitching has kept them in every game. That Richard start last Sunday is really the only bad one through the first seven games. Well, yeah, and you mentioned that they've started hitting. J.D. Martinez is off to a scorching start after a, 20, a tough 2020 season. I think he hit around 250, minimal power in that truncated season. But this year he's already hitting over 400, driving in a ton of runs. Have you seen a different approach from him at the plate as opposed to last year? And what does his resurgence mean for this lineup? Yeah, I'll take the second one first because that's obvious. It's huge. Um, You know, he's the guy that kind of anchors that batting order, whether he's hitting third or fourth. Uh, He's the experienced right-handed run-producing hitter that that lineup sort of in the offense revolves around. And you're right, last year he was a shell of himself. His slugging percentage was actually below 400, which seems inconceivable for a hitter of J.D. Martinez's history and accomplishments. Um, It's probably a couple of things. One, he made no secret last year that the inability to use in-game video to check on his swing, and he's, he's really a student of hitting. And because of some COVID protocol last year where there was no access to in-game video, he couldn't diagnose the swing, couldn't make in-game adjustments. Um, That's probably a little overstated, but it's kind of a security blanket for Martinez and always had been. And without that, he really was kind of lost. And and I think um, in conjunction with that, he got into some bad habits at the plate and as he said, at the end of the season and again in the offseason, um, he would start to try to make adjustments to rid himself of some bad habits. And because he couldn't check on what he was doing in-game, it would take a game or two to determine whether what he had done was working. And then when it wasn't, he had to try something else. And he just kind of spiraled and never was able to get out of that hole. But um, he did a lot of work on his swing in the off season and the ability to consult an iPad uh, in between at bats this year has really been uh, something that's been very helpful for him. Sean, if we're talking about that Orioles series, Tanner Houck is a guy who came out and did pretty well. He, you know, he pitched a few good innings against the Orioles. The Orioles ended up roughing him up a little bit in the end, but he got sent down to the alternate training site a few days after the, the Red Sox-Orioles series. Why was Tanner Houck sent down, and when can, can we expect to, to have him back in the major leagues? Yeah, I, I mean, it's really more of a numbers thing. Uh, he got 
forced out, I guess, because of some um, roster machinations. Um, you know, they've got commitments to some more established guys in particular. I, I, you know, if you're looking at this rotation, you would say Nick Pavetta is kind of the guy who, who fits the number five category. Um, maybe the guy at the back end of the rotation, a guy they got from Philadelphia at the trade deadline and the deal that sent Workman and Hembry to the Phillies last August, and a guy they really like and have done some work with, and he's out of options. Um, so it's a matter, you know, it's a matter of just controlling your assets at this point, right? If you option uh, or attempt to send Pavetta back to the alternate site, you have to expose him to waivers and you risk losing him. Meanwhile, Hauk has plenty of options left, so you can have him go back and forth. And frankly, um, as good as Hauk has been through four major league starts in his career, dating back to last September, uh, the Red Sox see him still as a uh, as kind of a, a, a project still, or you know, in um, a work in progress. Uh, they wanted him to develop a third pitch splitter uh, to keep left-handed hitters honest. Lefties have given him a lot of difficulty in his minor league career, but they've added that into his uh, repertoire last summer at the alternate site. He's made strides with it, but it's still not uh, a reliably consistent major league pitch for his third pitch. So, I mean, he, look, he's the first call if there's either injury or underperformance in that rotation, and I have no doubt he's going to be wearing a path between Worcester and Boston uh, for much of the year, anytime they need a spot starter, anytime there's a double header, anytime there's somebody who needs some, uh, an extra day, Hauk is the guy that they'll go to. But being relatively young and, again, taking a look at the rest of the roster options and the options that players have to protect everybody, uh, he's kind of the odd guy out right now. Well, and you mentioned Nick uh, Nick Pavetta, who in 91 games with the Phillies, had a five-and-a-half ERA for his career. He comes over to the Red Sox. He's made three three starts for them uh, since that trade last year, and he's pitching to an ERA of 1-2. Um, have the Red Sox figured him out? Do they, have they figured out how to make him the most productive version of himself? Um, or is this just a, a, a fast start and we're kind of seeing him kind of revert back a little bit? Yeah, I, I mean, look, small sample size, the right, ultimate right. small sample size. But um, they have done two things with him. One, they have settled on him being a starter, which the Phillies had not. Uh, he was working out of the bullpen in the latter half of his time with Philadelphia. Uh, he does not think that's the best use of his uh, skill set and what he does well, and he wants to start. When the Red Sox traded for him, even though they sent him to the alternate site rather than bring him to the big leagues, as you might expect for a team that was really struggling last year in the pitching department, you know the, the reaction around here was, you know, if this guy's so good, how come he can't beat out, you know, the number of 4A guys that are clogging up the rotation here? But they wanted to work with him and get him straight. And frankly, there was also some uh, some service time manipulation there. Uh, and they brought him up with a couple of weeks left. So one is just committing to him being a starter and not a guy out of the bullpen. Second is to emphasize the slider more, which is something the Phillies had not his primary breaking pitch when he was in Philadelphia was his curveball. The Red Sox thought the slider was a better option. They've urged him to throw it, and he's thrown it a ton. Uh, it was almost 40%, I think, in, uh, in his last start. Um, and so, you know, improved confidence, knowing that the organization sees you as a starter, as you see yourself, 
and also a little, uh, you know, updating on his pitch mix. Well, and certainly, and the guy that he's throwing to more often than not is Christian Vasquez. And Christian Vasquez is having a, a great start to the year, just like J.D. Martinez. Uh, he had back-to-back solid seasons in 2019 and 2020. Where does Vasquez stand amongst the best catchers in baseball? Because nobody really, nobody outside of Boston seems to talk about him a lot, but he's putting together a solid career. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point. It's kind of difficult to be underrated as a Red Sox player because the team always is in the spotlight for good or bad. Uh, There's a lot of media attention on the team. Until last year, they were, you know, a consistent contender for the previous four or five seasons, lots of national TV exposure, all of that. And yet, Vasquez, I think, is somehow underrated. Uh, I thought I saw a graphic the other day that starting in 2019, so for the last two plus seasons, maybe even gone back to 2018, that Vasquez has uh, the highest WAR of any American League catcher, and he had always been pretty strong defensively as a receiver, as a uh, framer, as a pitch blocker, and certainly as someone in terms of arm strength. Uh, the Red Sox would put up his arm strength against just about any catcher in the game. Um, but for a long time, he was kind of inconsistent offensively. That's changed the last couple of years where he's been around 800 with his OPS. And he's even, um, you know, flashed some power, even though it's been kind of in spurts. He tends to hit his home runs, you know, he'll hit three and uh, five or six days and then go a couple of weeks without hitting another one. But um, he, he, he has developed into a more consistent hitter. He drives the ball better. Uh, he started to use the whole field a little bit more the last couple of years. And, um, you know, the, he, he really has emerged. Uh, I don't know if I'd necessarily call him the best catcher in the American League, but, you know, other than Real Muto and maybe one or two others, uh, you know, you would put him in the top uh, five or six catchers in the game at this point if you're evaluating offense and defense. Well, yeah, he's certainly in the conversation, and right now he's currently hitting in the middle of that, that Red Sox order. And on Thursday, the two through five hitters in the Red Sox lineup accounted for nine of the Red Sox 12 hits, and they scored six of the team's seven runs. Rafael Devers and, uh, and Alex Verdugo both had really nice games. Is that the game that we kind of see their seasons kind of get jump-started? Because they were off to slow starts until Thursday. Yeah, I mean, it's a strong offensive team. Uh, any offense that's got Bogarts, Devers, and Martinez, and throw Vasquez in there as your kind of two through four or five hitters uh, is pretty strong. Um, they're still trying to figure out the top of the order with Kike Hernandez being given a chance to win the leadoff spot. He homered the other day, of course. Right. Uh, but the interesting part is the bottom half, where you have a lot of kind of swing and miss candidates, guys like... Um, Franchi Cordero, Hunter Renfro, and the rookie at first base, Bobby Dahlbeck, all have plus power, um, all have the ability to hit the ball out of any ballpark when they connect, but the problem has been regular, consistent contact. And uh, I, I think what they're trying to get out of the bottom of the order is the knowledge that, yeah, there are times when it's okay, as, as Alex Cora has said, to swing away here and and try to hit the long ball, but there have to be times when contact is is what is being stressed and focused, uh, and put the ball in play. Um, you know, 
maybe I, we're not talking about small ball and and hitting behind the runner and hitting balls to the right side to move runners over, but just the ability to maybe shorten up on the swing a little bit, be a little more discerning when it comes to the strike zone, and find ways to score runs other than the long ball in the bottom half of that lineup. Now, you mentioned Kike Hernandez, and he's obviously a new addition for the Red Sox this year, and he's been playing a lot. You know, he's a a guy who's been playing kind of a few different positions, you know, always kind of viewed as a super utility type for the Dodgers. But what do the Red Sox expect out of him in 162 games? Is this a guy who's really going to move around everywhere, or do you find him kind of taking one position and running with that for the rest of the season? Um, I think that's still to be determined. Uh, he's, He's already moved around through the first seven games, Uh, nominally, you would look at him as their starting second baseman, but I think he's only started um, maybe four of the seven games at second, and uh, the other starts have come in the outfield, mostly in center field. Excuse me. Um, He can do both. He's probably a plus defender at both positions. Um, They have some other options at both. They've used Verdugo in center. But there are times when they don't want Renfro in the lineup against a tough righty, so Verdugo goes back to right, and Hernandez starts in center, and they use someone like Christian Arroyo, as they did the other day, at second base. I think they're still trying to figure out you know, the best, um, the best mix here and trying a number of different lineups early in the season, depending on pitching matchups and other factors. Uh, it's also hard to get into a rhythm early, right? You've got scheduled off days. You've got a rain out uh, last week on the opener. So, you know, you, you've got a, a, a ton of day games early. Uh, so I think that, um, as a lot of managers do, Alex Gore is trying to get a lot of guys involved early. The The hardest thing some managers talk about is you come out of spring training where everyone's been utilized a lot and playing different positions and playing nearly every day. And you get into a season, if you have kind of a set lineup, you've got three or four bench guys who are not getting at-bats and they fall out of rhythm. So um, if he's using Arroyo more now than he will when things get underway and and we're, we're kind of into the rhythm of the season, then we'll find out about that. But for now, Hernandez, they see as a guy that, uh, you know, they, they like his offensive dynamic at the top of the lineup, even though he hasn't hit there a lot. He has the ability to drive the ball, hit that home run the other day late in the game to give a little more insurance. As I said, I think he's probably a plus defender in both center and second. So those those are two important positions up the middle where you want solid defense. Uh, And they also like, you know, this guy's been part of a winning organization for a long time with the Dodgers. Uh, You know, he won six division titles in a row and went to three World Series out there. So I, I think that um, gives him a little bit of a, a, a leadership uh, advantage as a new guy in the clubhouse, and that's another thing that attracted them to him. Well, and the thing about Kike Hernandez, I kind of look at him in the similar vein of um, Ben Zobrist, where his p- best position is probably second base, but mm-hmm. you can move him anywhere on the field, and you don't really have to worry about him. And you can't undervalue that versatility in a player. And I think that you don't want to pigeonhole somebody like that into a, into one position because they're so valuable all over the field to you that you can put them wherever you need to, and you can just kind of set it and forget it type, yeah, type I, of situation. Yeah, I think that's a very good comparison to, to Zobrist. And, uh, 
and it may well be, you know, that 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 is how they view him. Uh, as I said, they know that no matter which of the two spots he's at, he's going to be uh, providing uh, better than average defense at both. Um, it, it allows for some in-game moves uh, in games in which he started in center. He has sometimes moved to second late in games when they're ahead. Uh, so you've got both with Hernandez and Marwin Gonzalez, two guys that can play all over the field. Um, in Gonzalez, you have a switch hitter, so that helps when you're trying to determine matchups. And a couple of veteran guys who have been part of winning organizations, uh, Kike with the Dodgers, as we noted, and Gonzalez uh, was part of the Astros in uh, 2017 and 18, and then the Twins in 19 and 20 who won uh, although their postseason struggles are well documented, they did win two division titles there. So, um, just the ability to have a lot of flexibility—you guys know how much managers value that in the modern game. The Red Sox have a 14-man pitching staff now. That allows for 12 position players, which means when you take the second catcher out of the mix, you've got really two bench players uh, available to you. Well. But they better be guys that can move around a little bit because if not, you're going to be caught short at some point. And both Gonzalez, I mean, Hernandez is going to be in the starting lineup, you know, nine times out of ten. So right. it's not like he's going to be part of that bench rotation. But just having a lot of versatile players who are comfortable moving around not only can handle the different positions, but are guys that are okay with being moved around. Some guys find that unsettling. These two don't. Um, that gives Alex Cora a lot of options at his disposal. Um, we have Sean McAdam from the Boston Journal joining us in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio on our studio line. And Sean, I, I actually picked the Red Sox to finish ahead of the Blue Jays this year because I think that their offense is good, and I think once that starting rotation gets fully healthy and gets back to where they need to be, I think they made enough adjustments in that bullpen that they're going to win a lot of games, but they have to get that health. And one of those big steps was getting Eduardo Rodriguez back on the mound. He suffered from myocarditis from about with COVID last year that caused him to miss the season. He ended up opting out. Um... He comes back. He has arm fatigue to start this year. Misses that opening day start. That ended up going to Nathan Navaldi. But then he comes out and he pitches well enough to win against the Orioles. This is a guy who won what was it, 32 games with a 3.81 ERA in uh, 2018 and 2019 combined. How important is is he to this Red Sox rotation? And do you see him bouncing back to that guy that he was those two seasons? He's hugely important. Um, you know, he's particularly with Chris Sale still coming back from Tommy John. There's no question that Rodriguez is their best and most accomplished starting pitcher. Um, you know, on a good team, on a really good team, he's probably a very, very good number two. Here he's elevated, really, to number one in the absence of anybody else to take that mantle. But, uh, you know, as you noted, uh, this guy's been one of the better left-handed starters in the game the last few years. Not last year because he missed it, but in 18 and 19, you know, he, he was on the verge of winning 20 games in that final game of the season against the Orioles and couldn't nail it down. But he finally got over 200 innings. He had over 200 strikeouts. And really, health has been the thing that held him back earlier. He had this kind of trick knee thing that dated back to his time with the Orioles that he finally got surgically repaired a few off-seasons ago. Uh, that seemed to cost him uh, a, a, 
an IL stint almost every season. That's behind him. Um, but it's been stuff like last year, you know, the COVID and the myocarditis. Uh, this spring, it was a dead arm, which took him out of the opening day assignment. But if they can get close to, you know, 27 to 30 starts from him, keep him on the mound, he's a guy that you expect to win 15-plus games for you and and be a workhorse and rack up 200 innings. And on a, in a rotation where you've got Pavetta still trying to break through, you've got Perez as kind of a journeyman guy who's bounced around, um, Garrett Richards and Evaldi, both of whom have had long, um, durability issues in their career, they need uh, Rodriguez to be the guy who kind of sets the pace at the top of that rotation. Well, I'm glad you brought up Garrett Richards because he was he was a phenomenal young starter with the Angels, won a ton of games between the 2014 and 2015 seasons. He looked like an up-and-coming Cy Young candidate, and then he gets hurt, and his, his career kind of gets derailed. Had a nice bounce-back year with a 401 ERA with the Padres last year, but then he comes out in his first start with the Red Sox, brought in to solidify this rotation, and he gets absolutely lit up. Now, some of that was defense that kind of caused him to have to stay in the game a little bit longer uh, in those first and second innings. How long is Garrett Richards' leash? He gets he gets the ball today against Bruce Zimmerman. Uh, how long is his leash? Do the Red Sox think that that was just an anomaly and he'll kind of bounce back into form? Yeah, I, I think they are just chalking that up to a bad start. It happens, and it's the kind of outing that if you have in June or July, um, it's not good, but nobody is wondering about what it portends for the entire season or gets everybody in a panic because it's not happening at the start of the year. When it does happen, uh, you're under the microscope a little bit because it's the you know third game of the season. Look, they spent $10 million on this guy. Um, I, I don't see them pulling the plug after two or three bad starts, but clearly they're expecting a lot better than they got last week. Um, and I, I think further he didn't help himself by... Um, trying to argue that he was the victim of some uh, bad luck out there with balls through the shifts and, you know, a couple of pitches that could have gone either way on some walks. It was not a good outing. And trying to suggest otherwise is probably not the best approach when you're new to a team right. and new to a, new to a city. Um, you know, take your lumps, say it wasn't your best day and that, you know, it's, it's kind of behind you. Uh, but by trying to excuse what was undoubtedly a really poor outing, I, I think he further buried himself a little bit. But as I said, they've committed $10 million to this guy. They've got an option for another $10 million next year if they want to pick that up. They clearly um, like a lot of the um, analytics with him in terms of spin rate. They're convinced he's healthy. Uh, enough years now removed from Tommy John. And, you know, uh, if you go back six or seven years uh, in Anaheim, which is a long time, admittedly, uh, this guy had kind of elite stuff and, you know, was a very good number two or number three starter. That's what they think they have again, but it surely has to be better than it was last Sunday. Well, it's certainly up to him to get himself back into that role for them, and you know he 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 can do it. Like I said, he pitched fairly well for the Padres last year. They just with that super rotation, there just wasn't a spot for him, and so the Red Sox jumped all over him. Now, before we let you go, Sean, you briefly mentioned Chris Sale a little bit ago. Uh, this is kind of a couple part question. 
One, is he still on track for a midseason return? Two, can the Red Sox keep pace until he returns? And three, is this team a playoff contender if they're still treading water when he gets back to this team in the middle of the season? Um, again, I'll take that last one first, and I think yes. If they're hanging around above 500 and you get to inject Chris Sale into your rotation on whatever, August 1st, after the All-Star break, um, then that's a pretty nice uh, booster shot for a team that is hanging around. But uh, his timetable has been thrown off by a couple of setbacks over the offseason. He had a neck injury uh, over the year, uh, over the winter, that slowed his progression, and then he also had a case of COVID in January, which further slowed his rehab down a little bit. So, you know, the 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 thought or the hope that he might be back by, say, early June or mid-June, I think that's off the table. And in fact, I think it's it's unlikely we see him before the break at this point. You know, the 12 to 15-month timetable, recovery from Tommy John, uh, he had it almost on April 1st of 2020. So, you know, even the 15 months takes you to July 1st, and then you you uh, account for some of the slowdowns and hiccups he's encountered, and that uh, that stretches that timeline out further. So, um, you know, they're going to be patient here. There's a guy that they've invested a lot of money in, not just this year, but a few years after this. Um, so I think they're going to be careful, but uh, the notion that you might get somebody the caliber of Chris Hale to come back and, you know, be the ultimate equivalent of a trade deadline pickup, um, I, I think is, uh, you know, if you're sketching out best case scenarios for the 2021 Red Sox, there it is. Well, and getting Chris Sale back, hovering around that 500 mark, maybe a little bit above, that certainly helps you make that playoff push at the end of the season. Sean, great stuff as always from you. Thanks for coming on the program today, and we'll talk to you again later in the season. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Take care. That was Sean McAdam, uh, beat writer and columnist for the Boston Journal. Turn me up just a little bit, bud. Uh, beat writer and columnist for the Boston Journal, talking to us about the Red Sox. A lot of great stuff uh, from Sean there, as always. We'll talk to him again later in the year when the Orioles play the Red Sox again at some point. Uh, just remember that every Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via Pressbox's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with Mayor Brandon Scott, Ravens safety Anthony Levine, potential Ravens first-round pick Terrence Marshall, incoming Maryland basketball transfer Fats Fats Russell. What a name. And more. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. We got to get a break. When we come back, we'll take you on the payoff pitch around the league. Redefine your skills, inspire change, and make a difference. The Army offers the new generation of youth the ability to be part of something bigger than themselves, while also improving who they will become individually. Soldiers have the ability to impact the world in many different ways. The Army supports humanitarian missions ranging from the COVID-19 response to natural and man-made disasters. Visit GoArmy.com forward slash Baltimore. At Glory Days Grill, 
Grill. They have great food and good sports. Glory Days Grill is a sports-themed family restaurant with 39 restaurants up and down the East Coast. Watch all of the games on a ton of TVs, and each table has its own wireless speaker so you can tune in to whatever game it is you're watching. Find out more about what's happening at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill right now by going to glorydaysgrill.com. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A- financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. The journey begins on remote mountain farms and plantations in the lush tropical regions of countries like Colombia and Brazil, where the best coffee beans are grown. The beans are harvested by hand, carefully sorted, bagged, shipped, and finally roasted. And the journey ends as your cup of rich, flavorful Royal Farms coffee, the freshest and best coffee in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Thanks for having us, man. Appreciate it. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. The champ, Drew McIntyre. The great Ron Simmons. Damn. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Le Champion. Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to the Bat Around in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. I'm your host, Paul Valley. Joined with me as always, joined with me, joining me as always is my co-host, Zach Goodman, who's in the producer's chair now. And now it's time for the payoff pitch around the league. In a matchup of last year's AL champion and one of this year's favorites, the Rays got two hits and two RBIs apiece from Joey Wendell and Willie Adamas. And Brandon Lowe, Brandon Lowe hit a, is it Lowe or Lowe? I think it's Brandon Lau. Brandon Lau, because they had Nate Lowe, Brandon Lau. Right. Brandon Lau drove in three of his own to lead Tampa Bay over the Yankees 10-5. to Joe Ross threw five shutout innings in his return to baseball, but Justin Turner had three hits, including a six-inning solo shot to Abe Walker Bueller's six shutout innings as the Dodgers took down the Nationals one to nothing. John, Johnny Cueto threw eight and two-thirds innings of one-run ball, and Brandon Crawford drove in two runs as the Giants beat the Rockies 3-1. to the Red Hot Angels used home runs from Jared Walsh and Shohei Otani to go along with Andrew Heaney's 9Ks and 6 shutout innings to handle the Blue Jays 7-1. 
Framil Reyes hit two home runs, and Zach Plesac tossed seven shutout innings, allowing just three hits to lead Cleveland to a 4-1 to victory over the Tigers. Ronald Acuna Jr. had three extra base hits among his four hits, including a 456-foot monster home run. Man. And Charlie Morton picked up his first Braves win with six solid innings as the Braves took down the first-place Phillies 8-1. to Joe Musgrove was the story of baseball yesterday as he was brilliant Friday night, throwing the Padres' first-ever no-hitter, narrowly missing a perfect game by hitting Joey Gallo in the fourth inning. The 3-0 victory over the Rangers made the Padres the 30th team to throw a no-hitter as they were the only team without one heading into Friday. The how do we not talk about Joe Musgrove's no-hitter? We have to now? talk about Joe we, Musgrove's no-hitter. It was incredible. He was he was absolutely phenomenal. What did he have, 10, 11 strikeouts? Absolutely phenomenal. Too bad he hit Joey Gallo. Yeah, it would have been a perfect game. Only yeah, base runner. Right. The Athletics hit three home runs, and Sean Manaya tossed six innings of one-run ball to beat the Astros 6-2. And finally, the Reds' bullpen blew a 5-0 lead, but Tucker Barnhart contributed three hits, two doubles, and two RBIs, including the game-winner in the 10th to lead the Reds over Arizona 6-5. Now we'll kick it over to Zach, who has today's matchups. All right, 1 o'clock, AL East matchup. The Yankees take on the Rays. The Rays have kind of had a slow start to the season, but they look to get it going against the Yankees. And NL East showdown, Lindor's Mets and the Marlins. And then 2 o'clock, we have the powerful White Sox against the Royals, but playing in Chicago. Uh, the Mariners will face an uphill battle against Nelson Cruz and the Mighty Twins. With Arenado making his presence known in the Central with his walk-off the other day, the Brewers will visit the Cardinals. Moving to 4 p.m., two rebuilding teams and the Rockies and the Giants go head-to-head. A good rivalry as the Astros take on the Oakland A's. And at 6 p.m., the Young Tigers take on the Indians, who are also off to a slow, surprising start. Uh, at 6.30, the, Pi- uh, the Pirates and uh, Kebron Hayes battle the Cubs and Chris Bryant. The Young uh uh, sorry. Uh, it's at 7 p.m., where every, the team everyone wants to watch, the Padres battle the Texas Rangers at Globe Life Field. Then Bruce Zimmerman makes his second Orioles start as they as they host the Red Sox. The incredible two-way Shohei Otani and the Angels go up against the youth movement-inspired Blue Jays. The Braves, who got off to a slow start as well, they host the Phillies in Atlanta. And at 8 p.m., the 6-1 Red Hot Ra- uh, uh, Reds will get hotter as they go to Arizona and face the D-backs. And then finally, at 9 p.m., the 2019 World Champion National will visit LA to take on the 2020 world champion Los Angeles Dodgers. I'm having trouble reading over here, so hopefully I don't have to do any live reads anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, you do have one coming up, man. It's all right. You struggle, but you got through it. It's re- crazy. Re- re- reading's not my specialty, I guess. Ah, no, you're a smart kid, man. Just just slow it down. You'll be all right. Um, it kind of crazy that the Nationals are the 2019 world champions. The Dodgers yeah. are the 2020 world champions the nationals are in la and the 2020 champions are celebrating their world series at home before the 2019 world series champions get to celebrate their world series at home absolutely crazy well the nationals already did on their opening day against the against atlanta they did yeah they were at home for for a uh, game or i guess it was like a three-game series against atlanta ah see i did not realize that yeah the the nationals are kind of weird because all the covid stuff they had a bunch of players test positive so the mets i believe they were supposed to open against the mets then it got delayed then that's what they did against Atlanta. Uh, you know what i I read something and that's probably what they were talking about that it might have happened that way if all the covid stuff kept them from playing in their first series was in la 
That's what it was. Yeah, not not great to already have a COVID situation going on. I, I don't know how that started. I don't know how that. You know, we had the Marlins last year have that giant outbreak. It seems like it kind of. You know, no, nobody really had the issue with that, but it seems like we're back to that again. So hopefully not. No Dude, more no, no more COVID issues for the 2021 season. Speaking of, HBO Max has a program, and I can't remember what it's called. It's like Cruise of Death or something <laughs> like that. Sounds um, like a heavy metal band. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> By the way, I came up with a perfect name for an alt-punk rock band called Minimal Gain. Uh, oh. I, <laughs> I was... <laughs> Laura and I were what, walking. What are we even talking about? I don't anymore? know. Laura and I were walking back from the stadium, and I had I I, I had a few sodas in me, and um, sodas. I just exactly, and I started telling her uh, about how I want to start a band. That's how we'll make our millions. Called Minimal Gain, and I I I sang the lyrics to our first song that I can't remember now. It was brilliant. She was laughing, and now I can't remember it. As is. Always the case when I come up with stupid harebrained ideas. And but anyway, and, and you're drinking sodas. I mean, yeah, yeah. The the, the ginger <laughs> ales were flowing. Um, but anyway, check out this program. It's like Cruise of Death or something like that. It's a 40 minute program about the Princess Diamond cruise ship that got stuck in the harbor mm. in Japan um, for over a month. They had over 700 cases and 14 deaths from COVID last February into March. Um, just really the first outbreak, the huge outbreak that we saw. Pretty interesting program. Anyway, moving on. As Zach just mentioned, it's going to be Bruce Zimmerman and Garrett Richards squaring off again in a repeat of last Sunday's matchup to this or this evening. Uh, Richards allowed six runs, runs on seven hits in just two innings on Sundays. He was exploded for 11 runs on 17 hits in an 11-3 victory. Other side of things, Zimmerman tossed an efficient six innings of three-run ball to earn his first Major League victory. He threw 10 pitches in each of the first four innings and then 11 pitches in the fifth inning before 22 pitch sixth inning ended his first 2021 start really solid performance a yeah. quality start yeah. um the ERA says 450 but he pitched better than a 450 ERA would suggest teams are headed in different directions directions since that day the Red Sox swept the champion Rays outscoring the pitching heavy Rays 26 to 9 in that three game series they won the game in the current series against Baltimore on Thursday they opened things up 7 to 3 33 runs in the last four games after scoring five runs total in their first three games for the Red Sox Meanwhile, the Orioles have lost three of four. They've struck out 13-plus times in a major league record five consecutive games, have five hits in less or less in three of four games. Just two teams headed in opposite directions, it seems. The Orioles kind of need to get back to it today against Garrett Richards. How are you looking at this game? Yeah, I mean, I think Bruce Zimmerman's going to give him a nice performance. You know, he, he seemed like he had a lot of the Red Sox hitters off balance Sox. last time. Nice Red, Bo- Sox. Red Bo- Sox. Baltimore accent there. No, no, um, that was definitely a Bo- Red Sox. Red, or Boston accent, really. Yeah. Okay, I don't know. I, I don't live in Boston, so I don't know where that's coming from. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think Bruce Zimmerman will be fine again. He, he was really pretty solid. Like you 